I think I'm good. I'm excited. Let's do it. All right, let's do it. <laughs> Hello, everyone. I am Ashley Asti, and this is I'm Curious Podcast. That was me and my guest today, Nicole Donovan, kicking off our podcast and, and getting excited to dive in. Nicole is a storyteller and an author, including the author of a new book called A Life Suspended, a mother and son story of autism, extinction births, and living a resilient life. In the book, Nicole vulnerably tells her story and brings readers into her home in the heart of a family struggling with um, their youngest son, Jack, who uh, at the opening of the book was having behavior issues and trouble in school and is eventually indefinitely suspended from the public school system uh, as they try to work out and figure out what's going on with him. Because at the time, he hadn't received his autism diagnosis, which helped him receive the supports that he needed. So we're going to talk about Nicole's journey today. But this is not just a story of autism, or you don't have to have a child with autism or know someone who happens to have autism to be touched by it. This story is also Nicole's own becoming, where she learns to become an advocate, to make choices, to say no, to speak up for herself, to trust her own inner wisdom, to take time for herself, to offer unconditional love, to not judge, and to raise a resilient and um, remarkably capable child is capable of, of change and showing the world what's possible. Um, and that's what she's done with all of her boys. I'm not a mother, but this story moved me and drew me in. I felt it the whole way through and it deepened my awareness. And I think it's an important read for anyone. So I'm going to set the scene here. The first chapter of Nicole's book is called The Escape. And it really helped set up the rest of the book. So at the time, Nicole's son, Jack, again, not yet diagnosed with autism, is seven years old. He's in first grade. It's uh, one March afternoon, the mid-afternoon, when Nicole, who's at work, gets a call from Jack's vice principal. And she said it's a familiar voice because she's been getting lots of calls from Jack's vice principal. And the vice principal is saying that there's a problem. Earlier in the morning, Jack was having some behavioral outbursts, and so he was moved with his one-to-one aide to a conference room. He was frustrated and, and struggling to articulate what he, he needed to say and, and his frustration, and so he kicks the door open, and it hits his one-to-one aide, and she actually needed to leave to get medical attention. So Jack, this little seven-year-old boy, is then moved into the vice principal's office, where he's there during lunch. And I'm going to quote Nicole here. When she, the vice principal, turned around to open the window in her office, Jack bolted. He had run out of the building and down the street. She radioed for help, and the social worker ran outside after him. Unfortunately, the social worker fell on the sidewalk and injured his hand and broke a tooth. When the social worker reached Jack, he was being held by a passerby. A man driving in a pickup truck two blocks down from the school had noticed he was running away from the school and being so young, he stopped him. My seven-year-old was running away from school and a complete stranger caught him. If this weren't so terrifying that Nicole was hearing that her son had escaped from school um, and been set loose on the street and a stranger caught him, it would almost be comical. The way Nicole goes on to describe it is this like, Remarkable level of, you know, she's being like a hyperbolic, but carnage following in tow of the seven-year-old boy that, you know, the social worker's falling, everyone's needing medical attention, chipped tooth, sprained wrists um, from these adults who didn't manage to keep her son safe and are trying to chase him down and no one seems to be able to catch this little seven-year-old boy. So I promise you, I'm going to ask Nicole all about the escape and everything that happened afterwards, the suspension from school and Jack starting to have to learn in her home, her having to quit her job, the whole upending of their life um, and how she navigated through that. But first, I just wanted to know how Nicole felt uh, releasing her first, first book out into the world. So tune in here. I just feel... I, for me, I'm just really, I'm, I'm grateful. I had the opportunity to write the book, to take the time, 
you know, as a writer and also a published author yourself, you understand there's so many components that, that in details that come into having a book being birthed and put out into the world. And, and I am also relieved. I'm relieved that, you know, that it's at this place where it's starting to do its job. You know, I, I knew all along when I started to write this book that the intention for this book was to offer comfort and care to families that were in the thick of it or that were, had just gone through trying to get their son or their daughter diagnosed or dealing with all of that stuff and also to educate other people that may not understand what it's like, you know, navigating these systems and getting diagnoses and, and dealing with the day-to-day -day stuff that a child with a disability has. And so I really just felt relieved that, oh, now it can do its job. Now it can go out in the world and do what I, what I wish it will do for, for others, because that's what the story did for me. It healed me. It, it gave me hope. Yeah, I feel like your book is deeply personal, of course, sharing your journey and your family's journey. But I feel like that must be so satisfying to know that it's not only serving you and, and helping to heal you, but it's like you said, going out into the world and supporting others. And, and, you know, I found it compelling and interesting and I learned from it, even though I don't have children and I've never gone through what you've gone through. So I also just wanted to point out to you that it's touching so many lives and, and that's um, really special. Um, so to, I guess to dive right in, uh, there's this scene that you open the book with that's compelling, um, because it's your son, Jack, he's about seven years old and he escapes or elopes from school. Um, and I'm curious if you can for a moment, just describe that sort of how you open the book, but more importantly, what led up to it so we can understand what led Jack to that moment and that decision. Yeah, it's, um, you know, that day was really um, horrifying on so many levels. Um, and, and it was, um, that was actually the third time that he eloped from the school. And we had been, you know, working with the professionals at his, at his school. And it just felt like there wasn't, like they weren't getting ahead of it. They were just kind of like putting water on the fire after the fire started blazing with his behaviors and you know his anxiety had been ticking up and ticking up and ticking up and we we weren't seeing the level of behaviors at home it was just when he was in in school so for for us you know we were dealing with you know phone calls and i was getting called out of work uh, numerous times to come pick him up and um, it was just this, uh, you know, this, this place where we were in this cycle of rewarding his behavior, not meaning to, but that's what was happening. Like he would have a behavior in the classroom because he had an aversion to doing his work. His writing would set him off. He had a, an aversion to writing. And he, at the time, we didn't realize that he's dyslexic. So reading was challenging for him. So he had many different areas where he wasn't able to access his education, but he didn't have the language to speak about that. He didn't have the language to say, hey, this is really hard for me. Or maybe when he did speak subtly, it wasn't picked up. So then he started acting out. And over the course, it, and it was, it, you know, this whole, this whole, the way that it happened began at the end of December was his first elopement. And then by March, he was out of the building and expelled. Like, so it just ramped up over the period of, you know, like four months, four or five months. And, um, and it was, it was really, it was really challenging um, for all of us because when he would have behaviors, they would pull him out of the classroom and then he would be like, sweet, I don't mm -hmm. have to do my work. Um, and I don't think he was really thinking sweet. I think mm -hmm. he was like uh, relieved. Yeah, so I think there's a lot of misunderstanding about Jack. They didn't, they didn't get him. They didn't understand. They, didn't, um, they weren't proactive with him. And that's really what brought it to that place where he was just like, I'm running out of this building. I think you bring up an interesting point that I've actually heard from other moms who have children with different abilities or special needs. 
and you, like almost that that language thing that he didn't have the ability to perhaps speak what he was feeling and i that was something i must say like growing up i never thought of as a writer and, and you know this too I, I feel like i've always been articulate and, and the world sort of values that and rewards that people who can express what they're feeling in words um and so for i'm wondering if was, was this sort of a process of everyone having to like you said the school almost didn't get him of learning to communicate from in the ways that he can and seeing the ways he was subtly communicating yeah i mean I, you know i don't really know i, I wasn't i wasn't in the classroom um per se uh in terms of what that looked like day to day but i do know that the the, the way they approached his behavior it didn't really it didn't speak to getting underneath what was really going on mm -hmm. and at the time you know he had you know he was on the spectrum and that wasn't diagnosed and you know there were things that could have been put in place sooner you know there were there was professionals that just were behind they weren't getting there quick enough for him that they could have seen that that was probably the issue or that could be a diagnosis that was in question and it you know what i mean it could have it could have happened quicker than it did but it didn't <laughs> And, um, and, and, you know, I, 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 I've been a teacher. I understand that you got a classroom of 20 kids and it can be really challenging to get to everybody and to understand everyone's needs, especially if they're, you know, if they have, have a communication disorder like autism, that is undiagnosed. You know, it, it is very challenging. So I do have compassion for the professionals that were, that were in the trenches. But yet, he was my son, and things weren't that things were not done quick enough. So that was hard for me, as his mom, to be like, "Well, what what is going on here? How how can this happen?" I feel like you and your husband really stepped in as Jack's main advocate because, like you said, you have compassion. There might be twenty kids in a classroom, but he was your son, and he wasn't getting what he needed to. Um, just be safe and okay and, and get the education that he deserves. And, and that was something that I felt throughout the whole book. Um, what I loved about the way you wrote is that it, it really made me feel, I wasn't just reading these words, I was almost feeling them along with you in my own ways. And so there were moments that I felt um, almost like a, a claustrophobia from like, oh my gosh, I can't imagine how you were learning to navigate to be this powerful advocate for your son. I mean, I felt moments of release and of course there was triumph and love that, you know, a whole range of emotions, but it definitely gave me a deeper understanding of perhaps what it might be like to advocate for your child. And I do a lot of work in the Down syndrome community and, uh, and I imagine this is not just a saying within the Down syndrome community, but there is one um, that lots of mamas wear in their t-shirts and things. And it, the slogan is advocate like a mother. So what does it mean to be your child's biggest advocate, whether it's carrying that responsibility or finding that strength within yourself? What does it feel like to have to step into that role? This has changed over time. You know, when, when everything happened with Jack and we were going to these meetings and, and you know, after Jack eloped um, from school and was belled that last time in March of that year, we we had meetings after meetings after meetings after meetings and it wasn't the first you know he had other diagnoses he had other things going on so it wasn't like our first team meeting but after everything happened things shifted because the whole you know i mean it was a serious serious thing that happened and everyone everyone understood that so going into those rooms every couple weeks every month i mean there were a lot there were a lot of meetings for those two years i'm breaking in here just to emphasize nicole's point so after jack eloped that last time in march he was suspended indefinitely so there was no end date he was sent home the school basically said we're not equipped to care for him right now and make sure that he's safe and so we need to find an alternative but that meant for weeks on end 
and it ended up being months on end, Nicole and her family had to try to figure out what they were supposed to do with Jack and how to help him keep learning from home. And again, it was just this process that absolutely upended their lives and upended Jack's life. And so they would go into the school for meeting after meeting in order to find out how to best take care of Jack and support him with the education and and the supports that he needed in order to get an education. And so Nicole here just tells us how that felt to just sort of be submerged in a process that she never expected and, and sort of fighting against the system because the school had to look out for the school, this big general population, and they weren't necessarily doing what was right just for Jack or looking at him as an individual and seeing how they can best serve him. And I would go in and I would feel so, I would actually feel ill. I would feel like I might actually throw up Um, the anxiety and the worry and the um, anticipation because I felt like it felt personal, you know, when your child is in danger and your child is um, put in this position where there's a lot of unknowns, it, it, makes, it makes a mom really fearful. And, and that's really where I was living for a, about a year. I'd go to these meetings and I would just, just be so overwhelmed and, um, and, and just feeling, oh my God, I'm going to throw up. (laughs) But then after a while, you know, and I was grateful that my husband was there. And so he, he was like the anchor. He like really helped keep it on track. And we had an educational advocate who was amazing. So I felt like, I felt like I could be in the trenches with him, but the meetings, the meetings were really, really challenging for me. And then over time it, it shifted, it shifted to, I felt more confident. We were gaining traction. We had a solid diagnosis. Things were moving in a direction. We had the, the, the professionals working with Jack that, that understood his diagnosis and they were able to put in a program that was really helping him gain his balance and his body regulation, his emotional regulation. So when we were at that point, I started feeling confident and I started to feel like, yeah, I'm going to advocate like a mother. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, absolutely. So it was, it was, it was like shifting from a place of feeling like a victim in, in a lot of ways to feeling empowered and a bit resentful (laughs) because it was like, I'll advocate like a mother, you know what I mean? Like, and and there is this level of fierceness, I think that a lot of us moms have who have kids on either on the spectrum or that have special needs or developmental delays that we go into these meetings as like, okay, you know, I'm here for my child because you have to put a little bit of armor on. You have to put a little bit of fierceness in your in your being as you're, as you're advocating for your child, because my job is to be there for Jack. Uh, Yes. I understand that there's other things that come into play and there's other kids and there's teachers and there's all these things. I I get it, but my job is Jack period. Mm -hmm. So that I think has, has been an interesting thing. And now it's come to a point, you know, where I can go to a team meeting and I can advocate and there is, there is generosity that exchanges between me and his educators and his therapist and his, his team because we have been working, you know, and it's shifted over time, but he's in a place where we can have conversations because we really are working like a team. Mm-hmm. So I think that it's just been a beautiful evolution and I have you know i've had to work on some things personally in terms of letting my resentments go letting the anger go all of that stuff personally that i think i've been able to move into this place where i can i can be generous and i can be you know like i i I don't know how to explain it any better Mm -hmm. than that but like just having that more of a collaboration other than what are you not doing for my kid Mm. do you know what i mean like 
and, and, and also it speaks to where he's at today and, and, and the, in the program that he's in and, and that it's set up for that. You know, he's just in the right place as well. It's, uh, and, and the ultimate benefit is Jack, like what he's gotten out of it. And that's been the whole, that's the whole point. I'm going to put you on the spot for a moment. And if you can't get specific, that's okay. Is there a specific moment you remember from those meetings early on where you felt like almost... Uh, more like you had to be particularly fierce because the school was maybe advocating for something broader and not looking at Jack specifically and advocating for him. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, there was a time early on when they had recommended a placement for him. And I was really angry because I felt like it was just a, uh, just a response like they didn't know him you know the person that stepped in he he wasn't involved in Jack's case at all and he was the head of pupil personnel and you know he didn't really have a background in special education until he took that position so um, I felt like you're 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 giving us like this is where you think he should go that's the only option on the table like, how, how can you say that? Mm. You know what I mean? Like, so like, had you, have you even been to this facility in this, in this school? You know what I mean? Like it, it yeah. felt, it felt very like offhanded. Like they just wanted to get him out of the school district mm. because they couldn't handle him. And they knew that, which is good. I'm glad that they knew that at that point they didn't have the tools and he was not able, Jack was not in a position at the time to be able to be educated in that in that way of a typical student but yeah I mean I we definitely and and gratefully what was interesting actually was when he said that was the only only option on the table I felt I was like oh my god so I guess that's where he needs to go like I had no idea <laughs> that you could say no because mm. this is before our advocate stepped in before we hired her and my husband was like no he's not going there like my husband's <laughs> like he's awesome he's just like no that's not happening like he's mm -hmm. very logical very straightforward business-minded like he's like yeah no we're not doing that that's not the right fit for him because we actually went and saw the program and we 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 talked to the director we knew we, we gathered the information to make an informed decision and, um, you know, that was, uh, that was really the mo probably the biggest moment that I remember that we had to be like, no. And that's why he ended up at our house <laughs> <We ended up laughs> because he had no place to go. Cause right. we were like, he's not going there. So those are the decisions that, you know, the hard decisions that we had to make. Gratefully, I was in a position where I could, I could leave my, my job and I could be home with Jack. It was it was challenging at times, but you know, I, I, I did have that ability to do that and, and we were able to work through it. I just want to underline the, the point where you're talking about, you had no idea that you could say no. no. And, and we'll get in, we'll get into this later, um, more of your evolution through this as well. But I think that's just like an important life lesson that I saw you almost grow through the book um, of being like, no, I, I can speak this up, speak up for myself and for my son and I can, I can make choices. But you had also mentioned that it was almost like the educators in the room were trying to almost just sort of get the problem off their hands and not, they didn't know Jack um, and, and didn't see him. And so there's a point in the book where you describe him and I'm just going to read a little bit of it because I love the way you write about him. Um, you said Jack was the baby of our family, the adventurous boy wonder who loved nothing more than to be surrounded by his three older brothers, or to climb to the highest rungs of the monkey bars, or to knock on our neighbor's door and invite himself in for a cup of juice and a snack. He was bold and zestful, distracted and driven. His expression of love was both fierce and endearing, often hurling his body into mine for hugs and kisses. He laughed wildly without reservation. I was drawn to, yeah, I was, I was drawn to that passage because you brought to the, us reading this sense of Jack as a little boy. Jack is the human being. Jack is your son. Jack is exactly who he is, not his behavior, not his autism, you know, not his elopement from school. Um, he's the person who just eventually was diagnosed as happening to have autism. 
Can you talk about anything you've learned about centering his or, or anyone's personhood about the power of truly seeing someone? Yeah, I mean, it was, it, what, what, what was interesting about this whole thing with Jack was that our, uh, our first two children have ADHD and we really dragged our feet about telling, you know, having them put on an IEP or a 504 or whatever, because we didn't want them to be labeled. So we go from that to Jack where we're trying to like gather every single <laughs> bit of piece of paper uh, evaluation or whatever to get to the bottom of this mystery that is Jack. Cause I always felt like there's something more, there's something more that's not his whole profile. And so it was an interesting thing where I don't particularly care for labels. It's just not really who I am because I feel like we, there, there's so much beauty within all of us. And for my children, you know, I didn't really want to have them carry these labels, but because, because things are the way they are to get services they needed to have these diagnoses, they needed to have these labels. And for Jack, quite frankly, he needed the labels to get the services so he could figure out how to regulate his body and his emotions and get, you know, access his education. So it was helpful, but going through the process of being so focused on what was missing or what was off or what was different about Jack, there came to a point because, you know, we're trying to like work with behavior plans or trying to work with educational plans and trying to get him to regulate his body. So every action that he did, every mood swing, every whatever it was that was happening during those uh, first couple years or first year, really, um, I felt like I was, he was under a microscope. Mm -hmm. So what was interesting is coming away from that being focused on his deficits per se, the things that weren't there in that he needed to work on to gain skills, right? Moving away from that, I got just so tired and so anxious and so consumed about looking at what was missing. <laughs> so when you're looking at all the lack, you know, of like what he doesn't have to fit in, um, that really wears on everyone. And I really, it made me angry and upset because I'm like, there's so much beauty in this boy and they're not seeing it. And then I wasn't seeing it because I was so focused on trying to figure out how to fit him in a box because he needed to be educated. So it was like this whole thing. And then, and then, you know, as he got a little older and we started talking about like, well, this is your, this is, you know, you are diagnosed with this autism, this label. And, um, you know, now, and he totally has embraced it. He, he, he likes to say he has Asperger's because that's mm -hmm. more in line really with his diagnosis, even though they don't diagnose Asperger's anymore. Um, and that's, he just takes that and he's like, it's just, you know, we've always described it as like a part of him. It's just an aspect of him. It's not all of him. And um, he's very, very comfortable. And he's, you know, just being able to lean into his humor and how he loves history and all the beautiful things about Jack and his spirit. You know, he's still that, that boy who's curious mm -hmm. and um, takes you know, risks, even though they're a lot less <laughs> risky today. <laughs> he does have fear in his life, which I think was a, is a good thing because mm -hmm. for a long time he didn't. Um, <laughs> healthy dose of fear. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, it's, I, I, think, I think that experience of having him and, and going from the extreme of not wanting a label to having, to having, you know, these things put in place for Jack um, and then coming back to balance with God, you know, how beautiful the spectrum of life is, whether, whether you have a label or don't have a label, we all have such beautiful gifts that we are here to share with each other. And 
Jack has shared so much with other people. He's made the world a better place. And for that, I'm just so grateful that, to have that perspective. Mm. <laughs> I was talking recently to Linda Strobel and Linda is the mom of Grace. Grace is in her 20s. She happens to have Down syndrome. Um, and she's now, she's a fashion model. She's an advocate and a speaker, just like living her, her fullest life. But Linda had said to me, uh, I'm going to quote her. She said, I definitely think mothers of children with disabilities have to have extraordinary courage every day. Because we all know our children have value and worth and potential, but the everyday world sometimes doesn't. Mm. And so that was something I felt from your book. Again, I, everyone has to read it. I, you know, I can't even do it justice. But, um, you know, when that day after in, in I guess, is December, um, when he eloped from school and, and then he ended up being home and, you know, you sort of leapt into action. You left a beloved job um, that you had. And, like, he was home every day. And, and at first I know it was challenging as you were trying to figure this all out and he was having what was being called extinction bursts. Can you talk about going from your, your, I guess your existence pre elopement and that suspension indefinite suspension to every day, what it felt like at first to be home with him and, and try to figure out that new path? Yeah. Well, um, you know, is he actually, the last um, time he eloped, in that period of time was March. Oh, March, so. okay. Yeah, yeah. I know it's confusing. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I can barely keep track and it was my story. Um, it got to the point where I was getting called at work to come get Jack and I, it, it was disruptive. Like my life, my work life was being disrupted by my home life. So at this point when he eloped in, in March, and um, then he ended up being home with us. It was, it was hard to leave the job that I loved because I, I loved teaching preschool. I loved the kids. You know, there's, it's just really delicious, uh, you know, hanging out with a bunch of four-year-olds. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a really good time, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, you, know, that was, you know, that was a little heartbreaking for me. But I, I knew, I really knew that I needed to be with Jack. There was, I had no doubt or reservations about what my decision was. And there was, you know, almost a sense of like, okay, relief in terms of like, I don't have to call in again, or I don't have to leave early. Like I can just be home. We'll just figure it out and we'll just move forward. And then as we started, um, you know, assembling professionals, we had a, an ABA, um, a BCBA, which is a behavior board certified behavior analyst. And she was um, just amazing in putting into place a behavior plan for Jack at home. So as we started to, you know, there was uh, teachers that were coming in that were uh, trained in ABA therapy and they were educating Jack in our home. And as we put in our expectations, of getting his work done and follow through and things like that, he started, his behavior started to tick up. So at that point, you know, we were riding this wave of the extinction burst and, and that I felt like was really important to write about um, our experience with the extinction burst. And I was really raw and honest with that mm -hmm. because there are so many families that are dealing with behavior and for me it was such a shameful thing because you know i would be on the playground with jack in our community or even other communities and he may say something the wrong way or he may he you know during that time or he might even like push a kid or whatever and 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 there there was a lot of judgment that went on because they these parents, these other people that were observing Jack in the snapshot didn't understand that we were really working hard on this diagnosis and we were putting things in place for him to shape his behavior. Maybe we weren't quite there yet. Or even in the community that we lived in at the time that, you know, we'd run into people on the playground where, you know, the moms would be whispering and pointing at my child. Mm. 
because their child was in his classroom. And, you know, just the whole lack of understanding and the lack of compassion and empathy around families that are dealing with children that are behavioral, I thought it was really, really important to to be honest and very upfront and candid about what happens on the interior of a family that's dealing with behavioral issues and that it's not what you think it is. If you, you know what I mean? Like if you're looking from the outside, it, it, you, you don't know until you're mm-hmm. let on the inside and then you can understand it a little bit more. And that was my hope because I feel like well, I know that in the course of the last eight years since this whole thing began, that I have been stopped in the grocery store. I've been, I've had phone calls. I've had, you know, interactions with other people that this is not a unique experience that my child had. (laughs) This is something that happens every single day. And there are families that feel isolated. There's families that feel ashamed. Um, because their child is acting out and doesn't have control of their body, that they don't know how to do that, that they're overstimulated, mm-hmm. that they don't have the tools. And, you know, it's not always, you know, the parents that are the problem, you know, mm-hmm. and I think that was one of my, you know, to be really honest, when I was on the other side before this happened with Jack, I would look at parents and go, geez. I wonder how their parent, you know what I mean? Like that judgment because you don't know. You're like, geez, I wonder what's going on there. Like, why is this kid, you know, getting in trouble all the time? Well, there are a lot of factors and there's a lot of players and there's a lot of things in in a child's life, anywhere from their environment to noise level to a tag itching on the back of their neck. Mm. You know, there's so many things that can trigger a child and their behavior. And if they're not if they can't speak about it, if they don't have the language, then how do they, how do they express that? Mm. You know, so I, I really wanted people to have a glimpse of what that looks like, because I want, I don't want people to, I don't want people to go through with what I went through, you know, and if this can educate educators or it can educate grandparents or people on the playground, perfect. It's done beyond my, my wishes, you know? Mm. So. There was actually a quote of yours that I'd, I'd wanted to bring up um, about this. You had written at one point, you said, being at home with Jack had been increasingly isolating. This is towards the beginning of him being suspended. Um, and you said, I also saw other moms eyeballing him. I saw other mothers, ones that I had chatted on the soccer sidelines with look uncomfortable around me. Conversations were awkward or surface level, even when I was not isolated, I felt alone. And you just spoke um, really uh, candidly and, and eloquently about that. For other parents who might be in a situation that you were in, can you talk about what you did for you? Because you sort of go into the book a little bit how you started realizing you needed to care for yourself or take time for yourself. So do you either want to speak to that experience that you had personally or maybe give offer uh, some loving recommendations or advice for a family that might be going through what you did? Yeah, I think it was really helpful for me to um, to talk to other other parents that understood or other moms that understood, and and my circle was really small. Um, with that, I didn't have there wasn't many people that I I knew because um, I was just you know new to the uh, diagnosis of autism, so I wasn't I would you know and, and Jack hadn't been in a program where other families and other people that I would meet, you know what I mean? Like we, I just mm-hmm. didn't have that experience. Um, so that was a little challenging. Um, I did end up um, having some panic attacks. Like I, mm-hmm. I started, my, my health had become impacted by the stress and strain of, of, of going, you know, going through the extinction burst and then, and just being, feeling so responsible about every little piece of everything that I was doing for Jack and then having three other children um, and balancing all that activities and, you know, Mm -hmm. taking, you know, having Jack come with us. It was always, I was always on. So there's this level of stress that was building up in my body and I didn't understand. I didn't understand 
that panic attacks could come out from nowhere. So for me in dealing with, you know, we're still dealing with Jack's programming, getting things into place. And I was feeling isolated because it was hard for people to understand what I was going through. And it was also hard for me to get out to connect with people because I was home with Jack. So most of the support groups for families with autism or families with uh, special needs were during the day. <laughs> mm -hmm. I couldn't get there during the day and I really couldn't leave him with anybody except husband, but he was working. Like someone mm -hmm. had to, you know, bring home the bacon. <laughs> so, you know what I mean? Like we're all doing that. We're all playing our roles. We're all doing our part. And so that was really challenging. Um, so, you know, because I was in a position where I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm having some, some, some issues with uh, panic attacks and stress and strain. And I had to look at that. So for me, it was more like appointed, like, okay, <laughs> you have a choice. You can a continue to have panic attacks and not be unsure of when those were going to pop up, which was not not ideal, right? Mm -hmm. And because uh, I was caring for Jack, taking him to you know appointments, have three other kids, I couldn't I couldn't live that way. It's not it was not sustainable for me. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, you really need to take care of yourself. And I was not, you know, I was, um, you know, I, I, I'm a, a a believer and advocate for mental health um, supports and counseling and all those things. Like I've accessed that in the past. You know, so that for me, that was like a no brainer, like, okay, I'm just going to go back to counseling and, you know, and, and then I started working on that and, and getting some tools. I, I started running, which was very short lived because I decided <laughs> I don't like running. So that was fine. Like I could not like running, but at least it got me out in nature. And, and like, so these like little things that I started to do and, and Jack was at a point where I could leave him, you know, <clears throat> in an evening and take an eight o'clock counseling appointment down the street from my house. Like that's how I chose mm. my counselor. I was yeah. like, who is close by? <laughs> like, where can I, do they have evening appointments? Like I kept it super simple because mm -hmm. I literally had no, the bandwidth, I didn't have it. So, you know, so I, and, and like, I figured if, if I didn't like this, if this wasn't a good fit, I, I would just go to the next, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah, I tried not to complicate anything because it already felt complicated. <laughs> someone asked me what would what advice would I give to a younger me mm. you know or what advice would I give to someone that was going through what I went through and I would say you know first forgive yourself mm. because we're all human and then I would say you know just stop drop and breathe you know mm. take that time for yourself walk walk in your garden get on your yoga mat sit outside on a bench, whatever that is for you, and just breathe, just take a breath, get in your body, forgive yourself, love yourself. You know, those are the things that I started to do, and, and it really made a huge difference um, for me. It, it healed me in ways. It's been really the foundation for the next, these last eight years of my life that I've built upon. So it's, um, it was, you know, it was, it was hard. It was really hard, but it, there's been so much growth and so much beauty that has come out of that for me personally. Um, I, I just, I can't say enough about just taking that first step. Mm. Since you have put this book out into the world and, you know, other people have gotten a chance to read it, of course, has there been any experience of maybe a parent um, or that's memorable to you that's reached out and sort of felt heard by your story or like any reaction to the book that is memorable for you? Uh, yeah, it was interesting. Um, so one of my neighbors, um, who I don't see often, especially this <laughs> time of Corona, like yes. I don't see anybody, but um, she actually came to my door and um, we just had a conversation outside and she's like, I had no I idea. And like, we just were talking about stories and, and if you've read the book, this would be, um, this would be my neighbor. 
<laughs> who Jack liked to go over and help him and go on <laughs> oh. and, and help wash his camper, you know, yeah. things like that. But um, so his wife came over and was chatting with me and, and just like, she was like, as she was talking, she was like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm so grateful you wrote this. And, mm. and she was relating it to some personal experiences with her her grandchildren and mm. and she got she's like I'm gonna cry and I go that's okay I cried a lot when I wrote the book you know what I mean because mm. I totally did and that's what you know it's about just a release and a connection and making like you know it, it there are moments in our lives where you know we're struck by just being overwhelmed or not being heard or not understanding what's going on and then when that light bulb goes off you know mm -hmm. for her that's what that was and it was such a beautiful experience to witness her sharing that with me mm -hmm. and um you know that she understood a little bit better one of her grandchildren mm -hmm. and that was just so generous of her to share that with me because, you know, as a writer, you put these things out into the world and it's really a gift. It's like the big, you know, it's like something that moved through me and I just want to put it out there, but it's, you never know, you never know who's mm -hmm. going to get it, who read it. A lot of times you don't know how they experienced it. So by getting reviews or comments or anything like that, it's, it's just been it's really been icing on the cake. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Because when I wrote it and put it out there and published it, it was really a surrender. It was really a, mm. you know, like I, there was no expectations because it healed me. The process healed me. Living it healed me, you know, all these things. So I didn't, it didn't owe me anything, mm. you know? So that was really beautiful. It's been really, really just out of this world. Mm. Actually, I just want to make a, a side note off of what you just said, because um, I feel like the same thing as a writer, hearing how someone else has seen my words or my experience and how like they, they view it for, through their own um, perception is always such a gift. And so I encourage anyone who has read, <laughs> Nicole, your book or will read the book to, um, or any book that you love to like, leave a review, send an email to the author. Um, Cause I, at least from my perspective, I always appreciate it. Um, and it sounds like you do too. Um, Cause again, it's, it's like a big part of your heart that you put out there and it's a gift to be able to hear that. So just a PSA. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But I actually, you, you led me right to it. I wanted to talk for a moment about writing. So you said at one point, you know, to care for yourself, you had enlisted the support of a therapist and at one point she had said to you like about needing to get back to who you are. And she said, and you wrote this in the book, you said that you're a writer and you were like, well, I mean, I've never been paid as a writer, but, <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and I think like there are certain moments in our lives that maybe remind us that our voice is always there um, inside of us. Like almost like these moments are, are, are voices waiting for us to arrive into these moments and to remember and to call on the power of it, especially those who turn to writing or art or, or whatever it might be um, mm. to use that, to bring light to others. And, and I love this. You wrote that your therapist had said like almost like starting just a journal. And um, she said, write about good things, go back in time and find the spiritual breadcrumbs, the synchronicities that brought you here. Fill your book with pages focused on gratitude and it will transform you. How has writing this book called you back to yourself or helped you trust or find acceptance? Mm. It's, um, you know, it's one of those things like I feel I've always, I was a writer I, ever since I was little. And, um, you know, I, I, uh, I got a little sidetracked. Um, because I felt like, well, writing's, writing's hard. You know, I, 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 I think I am probably dyslexic, <laughs> self-diagnosed, of course. But after I went through everything with Jack, I'm like, oh, my God, that's been my whole problem. <laughs> um, anyway, so I, I feel like there were, there was ways which I, you know, we all, we all do this. I think most of us do this anyway. 
have these imposed limitations. Like we, you know, we think, oh, we can't do that or we can't stretch ourselves in that way or what if I make no money or what if no mm -hmm. one reads it or what if, you know, there's always these yeah. what if scenarios. And I think for, you know, in, in that particular place in my life, you know, she was like, you know, if this is who you are, get back to that. It doesn't matter. Like nothing else matters. If this is who you are and the essence of you, then do that. And I think that um, that was such a good piece of advice because it was never about, I mean, at that point, certainly it was never about writing this as a story, uh, you know, to be published. This was never, I was in the thick of it. I was just trying to to survive like legit legit so um for me it was like oh just to, to take that pause and to to start something anew again and remember who i am and i think that you know when i look at my life and i think well i've always been a writer i lost that along the way even though i kept journals here and there but to go back to who I was as a child. I think for many of us, that's really who we are. The things that we did as kids, the things that lit our lamp, you know what I mean? In those mm -hmm. early years, that, that essence of that newness of who we are. And um, so walking in nature, writing, you know, that was really, that was really brought me back to who I wanted to grow more into. And, and here we are now, uh, you know, I've, I've um, you know, ended up leaving my career and switching gears and, and really diving into the aspect of writing um, and becoming an author and doing all those things and, and all the steps that, that I took when I was in with Jack in the thick of it and building a team and, you know, being that, um, like the control hub for all of those arms of support for Jack. Mm. That's what it was like being the writer and self-publishing is that I got to assemble my team. Mm. So there was, you know, finding my voice as Jack's advocate definitely helped me self-publish and move through this world of getting my book out there, being resilient, you know, taking things in stride, um, and, and just rising again and again and again to the challenges. And I think that definitely for so many, so many people that I know that are advocating for their kids, that those are the tools that they take with them in other areas of their life, because it's like you're exercising them, <laughs> uh, you know, for your child. And of course, a mom's going to do that for their kid. And then, oh, I get to do this for me now. It's, it's just been such a beautiful, it's just been a gift. It's been such a gift, the experience of advocating for Jack and learning how to assemble a team and do that. And then it parlayed into advocating for myself for this book, editors, publishing, all of that stuff. And now we're in the marketing phase. So I'm in like this next level of uncertainty and not, you know, I did not go to school for marketing. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's just been, it's just been a ride. It's, it's, it's awesome. Yeah, rising again and again and again, you said, I, I love everything about that whole answer. <laughs> um, so I guess one, really the last thing that I, I want to talk to you about is, um, is Jack and, and, and him now, you know, the story in, in so many ways is also your own becoming, but of course it, it's Jack's. Um, his ability to transform throughout the book just moved me like just a human being who had this tremendous capacity for growth and um, just developing this new awareness of himself. And it just, it was triumphant, I think in the end, even despite all the challenges and life is not always like, cause I say it's triumphant doesn't mean it's always perfect. Um, but there's that, that energy to it. Can you tell me how old Jack is now and anything you want to share about um, his life now without, you know, giving away too much of his privacy or too many details. Yeah. I mean, he's, um, he's, he's amazing. He's, he's uh, in high school now and he's, you know, he loves 
being a student. He takes pride in what he does. Um, he calls himself a nerd. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. I like that. Yes. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, so what's beautiful is like, he's, he's really collected the, um, these aspects of himself in, in a positive way. And, and, and that's what he focuses on. Like, well, you know, I always get my work done and I, you know, I'm all, I show up in class and I'm reliable and like all those things that he really puts himself in. And it's been wonderful. I mean, if, you know, backtrack classrooms to now where he's in, you know, in a, in a, a school where it's there's less kids he's in a specialized program um but he's you know he's the you know the mayor of the classroom you know he's mm -hmm. people like to hang out with him and you know he's just he's amazing and he's he's got dreams he's got dreams yeah. of the future and he wants to go to college and he wants to study history and it's just um man, like that's, the, that's what we wish for all of our kids, that they mm -hmm. find themselves, that they have confidence, that they feel good. And, um, yeah, so all those, all those, um, all those years of digging in really, really make a difference. Mm, I, I said last thing, but as usual, I have more. <laughs> I just really, <laughs> I'm curious, does Jack, um, you know, what does he think about you having put this book together? <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we've had lots of conversations because, mm. um, you know, it took me about seven years to write the book. Mm. So, um, so yeah, it was always the anticipation of like, well, she says she's writing a book, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, it's yeah. going to come out at some point. But, mm. um, you know, I, we've read some passages together. We've read chapters mm. together. Um, the, the funny thing, uh, you know, we... Mother's Day, around Mother's Day, all the kids were together and I got the copies of the book. They just Aww. came, like the, the proof came. <laughs> and I said, um, and we sat around and I read some, one of the funniest chapters I read and we listened to it together and we laughed and laughed. And then I also was able to read the dedications and like acknowledgements to each child because it really meant mm. a lot that they were there and present and they were supportive of their brother. And and continue to be supportive of each other. And that really, that was so worthwhile to be able to put that in the book and then watch their faces, you know, um, as I read it to them. And for Jack, you know, we, we've, we had a lot of conversations like, you know, when this comes out, it's in print, it's everywhere, it's on Amazon. Like, so we had many, many conversations about it. Um, he, he did not want to, to read the book from cover to front or mm. front to front to back. Um, it was not something he wanted to remember and relive, which I can understand mm. because he doesn't feel like he's the same person. So yeah. I, I really get that, but I definitely wanted him to, I wanted his approval. Like I wanted him to be okay with it being out there in the world. And I, you know, he really feels like it's going to help other people, you know, and, mm. and he wants that. He wants that for others. And, you know, that's why, you know, I decided like, okay, then we can put it out. And it was like right up to the last one. I'm like, are you sure? Like, I want to make mm -hmm. sure you're sure. And he's like, yep. And um, so out it is. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm, I'm grateful for Jack for being willing to let his story be seen and heard because I know it's going to continue um, nourishing people and letting them feel seen and heard by it. Um, so I just wanted to end with this quote. You had talked about some of the ways this journey with Jack has changed you and you wrote in the book, Jack has taught me to believe, to trust, and most importantly, to never underestimate the human spirit. Mm. Yeah. So I, I mean, I absolutely encourage everyone to read your book and review it. <laughs> um, so Nicole, <laughs> where can we find it and where can we find you, whether it's on social media or website? Um, give us all that information. Well, you can find me in all the cool places. <laughs> no, I, I joke, but I, I am on social media. I am on um, Facebook um, at Nicole Hendrick, Nicole Hendrick Donovan. Um, or NHD rights, I think is uh, mm -hmm. the appropriate handle. 
And I'll, and I'll then, put links to all of this too. Yeah, yeah. And then I'm also on Instagram at NHD rights. Um, you can visit my website, which I have a lot of content on there. I do have some, um, I've done blogging for a couple years now. So there's a lot of content um, that's free, uh, you know, to read to your heart's desire. Mm -hmm. And then there's also links uh, to the book uh, to Amazon on that. And the website is nhdwrites.com. Um, yeah. And, and I'm searchable on Amazon, the books on there. And uh, I also am, uh, my book is available. Um, it's called a life suspended through Ingram spark, which, um, mm -hmm. a lot of, uh, like independent bookstores and things like that. They, they would rather obviously go through that than, than Amazon. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and so, yeah, I'm going to, like I said, I'm going to put that all in the show notes so everyone can find you. Um, but I, I am so grateful. This was such, I, I was, I've been looking forward to this conversation, but, um, I, I, I don't know how to, better is not a good word, but it, it was better than I thought even. I just like, I feel like I've grown so much and you're just so wonderful. And, and like we said at the beginning, I just want to hang out with you. So post COVID, <laughs> we're going to make that happen. Um, but thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time. I know time is a precious resource. So I appreciate you sharing yours with me today. Oh, you are so welcome. It was my pleasure. And you know, it, it's an honor to be in the same space with you. I know that you've done so much advocacy work and, I, I am in awe of, of um, you moving through the world so gracefully, and um, I absolutely want to hang out. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> All right, we're going to make that happen. <laughs> awesome. <laughs>